Our scripture reading today will be Luke 14, 26, if you'd like to turn with me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Good morning again and welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We have a number of our own, and we're very thankful for privilege that we have to worship God in spirit and in truth, particularly in a nation that affords us this freedom. And it is our prayer that we will continue to have this freedom for many, many years to come. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14 in our study today, beginning in verse 25. The theme of our message today is dedicated discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What's involved in that? You know, there are a lot of people in our world today that have misunderstandings when it comes to discipleship. A disciple is a learner, a follower. And those of us who call ourselves Christians, we are said to be learners or followers of Jesus Christ. And so in Luke chapter 14, we have an extended amount of of attention given to discipleship. And Jesus, in essence, teaches on this important subject. And so in looking at verses 25 and following, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the scope of discipleship. We think about being called to discipleship. And interestingly, in looking at Luke 14, verse 25, we read of great multitudes that were following the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. The first thing that comes to my mind has to do with their interest in him. That is, their interest in Jesus. You know, over and over again, when you look at the Bible and you look at the scriptures, you'll find that there were any number of individuals who had genuine interest in the Lord. Now, there were some who were classified as his enemies and they had as their motive to ensnare him in their in his speech from time to time. But there were some who were genuinely interested in what Jesus had to say. And so as a result of that, It's not uncommon to read of great multitudes following him from place to place. And certainly this was the case here. I'm reminded of the account found in the book of John in chapter 12 at verse 21. Where it was said of the Greeks, sir, we would see Jesus. Why do you think these people wanted to see Jesus? Why do you think these multitudes were following the Son of God? Well, I think no doubt because of the powerful words that he had spoken in the preceding days. The Apostle Peter in John chapter 6, when Jesus had earlier declared himself to be the bread of life, the Bible tells us that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. 
Well, obviously, there was something special about the words spoken by Jesus that attracted people. And I think that, that was the case on many occasions. And then also I think about the great works that he performed. We talk about the signs or the miracles that Jesus performed on a number of occasions. You can read the book of John, for example. In, in the book of John, there are seven signs recorded by the Apostle John. And each and every sign points to Jesus as being deity. In other words, it simply underscores the fact that he was and is the Son of God. And so we think about the interest that these people had in Jesus. But then also we think about his invitation to them. Now in verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me. We talk about the scope of discipleship, the call to become a disciple. Well, Jesus wanted, he wanted followers. He was interested in people. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and over and over again, you'll see Jesus encouraging people to follow him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I will give you rest. You see, the Bible teaches us that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, based on 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 at verse 9. And so we talk about their interest in him and then his invitation to them. When Jesus, well, before Jesus ascended to heaven, as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 28 verse 19. You remember what the Lord said to his disciples? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. When we talk about the scope of discipleship, it's open to all. In other words, there are no exclusions when it comes to the body of Christ. The Lord is interested in all people. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, when he foretold of the coming of the kingdom of God, he saw it as an exalted mountain. And he said, In, into this great institution would all nations flow. And the idea that Isaiah was, was setting forth, as recorded in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, is that the kingdom of God would encompass both Jews and Gentiles. It would house all nations of people. And Jesus, as you know, died on Calvary's cross and in his death reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. And so the scope of discipleship. When we talk about the scope of discipleship, what we need to understand is that there is a call to discipleship. Jesus is interested in followers. In looking at this text, we see that there were some who were interested in him. They were genuinely interested in the Lord. And then his invitation to them. Now, there are going to be some prerequisites, some conditions attached to discipleship. And so with that in mind, let's now think in the second place of the sacrifices of discipleship. What's it going to cost me to become a follower of Jesus? I think sometimes people have the idea that they can be a follower of Jesus and they can just decide how they want to follow him and they can set their own rules and their own pace in life. Well, that's not what the Lord says. Because you see, Jesus said there are some conditions associated with becoming a follower of his. 
So we ask the question, what's it going to cost you to be a follower of Jesus? To those in the first century, those people who were following the Lord, these great multitudes, they were interested in him. Maybe they were thinking about becoming a disciple. All right, here's what Jesus said. You want to be a disciple of mine, you want to be a follower of mine, then here's what you need to understand. It's going to cost you something. Well, somebody says, what's it going to cost me? Number one, it's going to cost you, potentially, your family. Look at what Jesus said in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and really the idea is, if anyone comes to me and does not love less his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So first of all, we think about our family. How much does your family mean to you? Well, for most of us, family is everything. Now, there are some people that because of their decision to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, have been ostracized by their family. In other words, their family members have said, because you have obeyed the gospel, because you're now a follower of the Lord, because you're a member of the church of Christ, we're not going to have anything to do with you. Now that, that may sound rather harsh, and it may be hard to believe, but I can assure you that there are any number of people that have found themselves in that kind of position. Jesus is not saying here that we're not to love our family. To the contrary, we are to love our family. Over and over again, we read about how the husband is to love the wife, how we are to love our children. We understand how important the family unit is. But Jesus is saying, if you have to make a choice... If you have to decide between me and your family, and you want to be a disciple of mine, you're going to have to go with, with me. You're going to have to love me above everyone else. You're going to have to love me preeminently. Now, let me just add to this. We talk about, we, we talk about the cost of discipleship, the sacrifices. And I said a moment ago that there are some people that have, they have literally had family relationships severed because of their decision to obey the gospel. I can think of two people right off, right off the top of my head that have been ostracized because of that decision. But we talk about our family relationships, but Jesus also includes ourselves in this context. Jesus said we have to be willing to deny ourselves if we're going to become one of his disciples. And by that, I take it to mean that our wishes take a backseat to the Lord's. Again, his will is preeminent. You remember what Jesus said in Luke, or rather in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. So what's it going to cost you? Well, it may cost you your family. But then there is a second thing 
that it may cost you. It may cost you the faith of your family. Now somebody might ask the question, what do you mean the faith of your family? Well, how many people have grown up in a particular denomination? And maybe they've studied the Bible. Maybe they've spent some time studying the scriptures. And then when it comes time to obey the gospel, they are somewhat reluctant to do so because their mama or daddy, their brother or sister, or somebody in their, in their, in their family unit has been a member of a particular denomination. Well, let me just give you an example of somebody who obeyed the gospel despite the faith of his family. His name, Saul of Tarsus. When you read in Philippians chapter 3, the Bible talks about the pedigree of the Apostle Paul. He was, as he said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had been schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. Some would say that were he alive today, he would be referred to as Dr. Saul. Here was a man that had been schooled and steeped in Judaism. Now, where do you think, where do you think Saul of Tarsus learned about Judaism? Where do you think he learned about the law of God? He learned it from his family members. If you go back and read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had said through Moses that the parents were to teach their children diligently the law of God. So when Saul of Tarsus was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, don't you think he thought about his family members, his, maybe his mama and his daddy? Don't you think he thought about those earthly relationships that had been so near and dear to his heart? In all probability, he did. But he did not let that hinder him from doing what God said to do. So we talk about the cost of discipleship. It may be the case that we have to turn our back on the faith of our family. I remember and I've I've said this before. I remember a friend of mine studying with a lady. And through the, through the course of their study, they talked about New Testament Christianity. And when it came time for her to either obey the gospel or say no, her response to this friend of mine was, I made a deathbed promise to my mother I would never go in the church of Christ. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to make some hard decisions in life. Some of those decisions are going to relate to your family. Some of those decisions are going to relate to the faith of your family. But then there is a third thing. It may cost you some friends. Did you know that there are any number of members in the church today that have had to several relationships with friends because they decided to become a Christian. When you obey the gospel, when you and I made the decision to become a child of God, we said, listen, 
That old way of life is over with. I think about the story that was told about John Shannon when he obeyed the gospel. Some of his friends wanted him to go out drinking one night. And he said, what you need to understand is the old John Shannon is dead. Well, that's what happens when you become a Christian. You die to the love and the practice of sin. That's what Paul teaches in Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We died to the love and the practice of sin. Now, Amos asked in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Paul said, evil companionship corrupts good morals. Why would you want to run with the devil's crowd if you're a child of God? Why would you want to associate with people that drink and smoke and cuss and do all kind of things contrary to the will of God? And so it may mean that you have to sever some of those relationships. But then also, I would suggest it may cost you your fortune. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 18, we read of a, of, a, of a young ruler who came to Jesus. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, to call Jesus good was to, in a sense, equate him to God because that term or title was used to designate deity. And so Jesus responded by saying, why do you call me good? There's none good save one, that's God. Well, what about the commandments? You can go back to the old law, and in Luke chapter 18, those commands are summed up. You're not to commit adultery, you're not to kill, you're not to steal, you're not to bear false witness. You are to honor your father and mother. Well, here's what this young man said. All these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus, however, said, but one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, what, what does Luke tell us happened after Jesus made this declaration to this young man? Was this man religious? Yes, he was. Had he honored the law of God, yes, he had. Now, there was one, one law that, or one command that was left out. You're not to covet. That commandment was not explicitly stated in Luke 18. And so, apparently, Jesus knew that covetousness was a problem in the life of this individual. And so he said, go, go sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Why? Because he was very rich. Is there anything inherently wrong with money? No, there is not. Is there anything wrong with me having material goods? No, there is not. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with materialism insofar as I use those things as a good steward. But if I allow those things to become a god to me, then there is a problem like this young man. And so it may cost you it may cost you some money. It may mean it may mean that you have to walk away from some things. Think about somebody who who has a very lucrative and high-paying job. 
And that job is coming between him or her and his or her family. Or between him and his God or her and her God. Well, you're going to have to make some decisions. It may, it may mean leaving some money on the table. But to serve God and to live for God, we're willing to do that. That's what it may cost. And then finally, let me suggest it may cost you, it will cost you, your faults. In Psalm 19, verse 12, the psalmist talks about being cleansed from his secret faults. Now, all of us have faults. All of us have shortcomings. But I think about there are some things that we do habitually. And what Jesus is saying is that that old way of sin, that old lifestyle has to be given up. Probably the best illustration would be found in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 where Paul said, let him that stole steal no more. Were you a thief? Well, if you were a thief, you've got to give that way of life up. Paul said, wherefore putting away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor. Were you a liar? You've got to give that up. Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Did you used to cuss? Yes, I did. Well, you've got to give that up. What we're talking about is giving up those things that would come between us and, and our God. And so the sacrifices of discipleship. But then thirdly, the seriousness of discipleship. Now, what Jesus is going to do is set forth some considerations here. And he's going to use a couple of examples. And so we have two pictures of discipleship. The first has to do with a builder. And the second, with a battle. And so, note if you would what Jesus said. Well, drop down and look at verse 28. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. If you're going to build a house, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to make sure that you've got enough money to see that project through to completion. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here about discipleship. You want to be a follower of, you want to be a follower of mine? You better count the cost. You better sit down and make sure you're willing to give everything to follow me. Second example, the battle. We think about the worker and the warrior. Verse 31, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. All right, so here is here's a warrior, and he's thinking about going to war against another country. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to sit down and make sure that with his limited military resources, he can go up against someone who has far greater resources. What's, Jesus, what's the point here? What Jesus is saying is, before you, before you wade out into Christianity, you better count the cost. You better see what you're getting into. This is a lifetime commitment. And so, the two illustrations. All right, what about the pathway to discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? 
How can I get on the road to becoming a disciple of Jesus? Well, number one, it entails a converted life. Now, I said a moment ago, before you become a Christian, before you and I made the decision to become a child of God, we had to count the cost. We had to, we had to realize what, what, what all this is about. Just think for a moment about somebody who goes down to, goes down to one of the recruiting offices of the, mil, of the military and says, you know what, I want to become a Marine or I want to become a part of the Air Force or Navy or Army or whatever. Before you sign on that dotted line, you better make sure you understand what, what you're signing on to. Because once you sign on that dotted line, you belong to the government lock, stock, and barrel for the next four years. What Jesus is saying is, before you sign on to service in the kingdom of God, you better understand what you're getting yourself into. It is a lifetime of service. And what, what the Lord wants is for us to immerse ourselves in his service, to consume ourselves. All right, how then does it begin? Well, number one, it has, it has to begin with a converted life. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and just live as you please. You've got to have, you've got to be converted to the cause of Christ. When the Apostle Peter preached on Pentecost Day to multitudes of people, the Bible says that those people were pricked in their hearts. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent. What does repentance imply? It, re it implies a change. It's a part of that conversion process. And so he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When Saul of Tarsus was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, that implied repentance. He had to be converted. Before he could ever be a soldier in the army of God, he had to become converted. And that's what, that's what it takes today. So first of all, it entails a converted life. Number two, it entails a consecrated life. Now, I talked about before you and I sign on to service, we need to understand what we're signing on to. It is a life of service. It is a lifetime of service. It's not start today, stop tomorrow, start the next day, stop the following day, etc. No, it's start today and see it through to completion. Now, here's what was said of those early disciples in Acts 2 verse, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What did they do? They continued steadfastly. In other words, they were consecrated to the cause of Christ. You know why, some, you know why sometimes people become unfaithful to the cause of Christ? You know why there are some people that are not here today, but maybe will be here next Sunday morning? Or maybe they're not here today, maybe they won't be here next Sunday morning, but then they'll, they'll reappear in a couple of weeks. Why is that? They lack commitment. They lack consecration to Almighty God. We're talking about being consecrated to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to, give, to giving Him our all. 
We sing the song, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Have we truly surrendered all to Jesus? Are we truly consecrated to his cause? Now, if we're, con if we, if we're converted to Christ and we're consecrated to Christ, we will receive a crown from Christ. Because there is the converted life, the consecrated life, and the crown of life. How do I know that I will one day receive a crown of life? Because James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. What is it that is before all of us? It is the crown of life. Why be a disciple of Jesus? Because of the crown of life. Because of the hope of heaven. Because of what looms before us. To know that we have the hope of life eternal. Now let me just close by asking this question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a difference in lip service and really and truly genuinely serving the Lord day in and day out. What about you today? If you're here today, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you have never become a disciple of Jesus. Here's what you need to do. You need to do just what they did on Pentecost Day. That is, they believe that Jesus, they believe that he was and is the Son of God. That's what you need to do. They were willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin. They were willing to confess with their mouth what they believed in their heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. And they were willing to be immersed in water for the remission of their sins. Some 3,000 people did that on Pentecost Day based on Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now, maybe you're here and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe your service does not measure up. What could you do? What do you need to do? Well, I would encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life. It's called repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. Maybe you're here today, you need the prayers of the church. Could we pray with you and for you? Did you know that God will abundantly pardon? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?